Hello, Legends. Before we get into the episode, I just want to quickly tell you about a brand new show that I have just released. It's called Crime at Bedtime. And as the name suggests, it's been designed with those in mind who like to go to sleep at night listening to a fascinating true crime story. We'll release a brand new episode every single Monday, but right now there is a stack of episodes for you to binge straight away. So go check it out. It's called Crime at Bedtime. It's available wherever you get your podcasts from. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello. And welcome back to One Minute Remaining. My name is Jack Lawrence, the host and creator of this show. If you're here for the very first time because potentially the case we're about to cover, then welcome. And just to let you know, we have over 60 more episodes for you to binge right now. We also have our closed Facebook group where you can join almost 4,000 other OMR listeners to discuss the cases we talk about, as well as, of course, ask me any questions you might have. Now, with all that being said... We need to get into our new case, which today is the story of Temujin Kenzu. Hey, Jack. Uh, hello, hello. <laughs> hello, hello. How you doing, brother? I'm good. How are you, my friend? How are you? Fantastic. It's wonderful to finally get to talk to you. The stars are aligned and we're, and we're speaking, and I want to tell you something. I'm very honoured to be speaking to you. Uh, very impressed by how your program's blowing up over there in Australia and the land down under. Now, it was, in fact, in our Facebook group where I first learnt about Temujin Kenzu, as one of our legendary listeners brought the case to my attention. And after doing some reading, I knew I just had to get in touch with him. So after a little searching and a bit of research, I realised that he's actually housed in the same facility as one of our other regulars, Tony Duke. Now, these institutions are very large, and the particular facility that Tony and Temujin are in actually houses over 1,400 inmates at any one time. So, you're not going to know everyone, but once Temujin and I spoke, I mentioned Tony, and they would in fact end up bumping into each other. You've already met uh, Mr. Tony Duke, so that's, uh, that's cool. I'm glad uh, that you guys have, uh, have met in there. It's almost like people think... You know, or because you're in prison that you'll know everyone in there, but obviously there's a lot of people in there and you don't meet everybody, so... Um. No, it's funny, I've seen this guy a hundred times and I didn't know him, I didn't know him, <laughs> I didn't know about him. Only when I had approached him did a friend of mine who goes to a Christian service with him come to me and say, oh, that, that's Duke, he's a good guy. Yeah. And I said, oh, I'm talking to this guy in Australia who's doing this program. Then I went and I approached, approached him. 
So, you know, because I get so much media coverage, uh, usually people will come to me. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, Tony had not said anything. He's a very quiet guy. But I met him now, and if I, can, I told him, if you need any help at all, you let me know, and I'll be glad to help share our resources and yeah. get you all the support you need. As Temujin just mentioned, his story gets a rather large amount of press coverage. You'll find out just why as we go through this incredible and somewhat unbelievable story. But due to that fact that Temujin gets a lot of press, he informs me of a far easier way in which we can talk. He gives me all the details for me to set up a media interview, where for him there's no waiting in line for a phone to be free, no concerns about sudden headcounts or issues within the pod, and... No annoying automated voices. You have one minute remaining. So I called the prison's administration and spoke to an extremely helpful lady who gave me a time to talk to Temujin the following day at two o'clock in the morning, which is fine. So I set my alarm for 2am Australian time and, well, as we know, nothing ever quite runs as smoothly as that. Armed with my extension number that would put me straight through to Temujin, I hit my first issue with the prison's automated service. If you know your party's three-digit extension, please dial 2501, followed by the three-digit extension now. I did not recognize that as a valid entry. You have reached Macomb Correctional Facility. If you know your party's three-digit extension, please dial 2501, followed by the three-digit extension now. I did not recognize that as a valid entry. You have reached Macomb Correctional Facility. If you so, know your after about five attempts, I decided to go through to the main switchboard. Yeah, hi. Um, I'm trying to get through to an extension that I was given by uh, Miss, but uh, the automated voice keeps telling me it's not recognized. Hold on, okay. Yeah, hi, my name's Jack Lawrence. So I've got an interview booked um, with an inmate this afternoon. Hold on one second. Thank you very much. Did you know that about 97 cents of every dollar spent on lottery tickets? Hello, uh, my name's Jack Lawrence. I've got oh. an interview booked this uh, this afternoon um, with an inmate. I don't know. What, who is this? Uh, my name's Jack Lawrence. I'm a... I'm a I'm the other staff were all extremely helpful. And eventually, after a couple more transfers... We made it to Temujin. Jack. Hey. Hello, Jack. Yes, how are you, buddy? <laughs> Hello from America, my friend. Mate, I never thought I was going to get you. I don't know if it's my accent or what, but I got, I've got i been transferred about 700 times and people going, I don't know who you are. What are you doing? Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway. It should have just been the one, the one transfer from the front desk into the room that I'm in. No. I'm in a little uh, tiny phone book. Yeah, right. It's like no. a little, uh, they use these for visiting also for maximum security visiting. Right. So, uh, but we got, listen, just, you know, we have as much, we probably have as much time as you need. We won't be limited to the hour. Oh, okay, great. Fantastic. Because when, when she said, how long do you need? I went, yep. oh, how long's a piece of string? And she's like, an hour. I was like, okay, yeah, that'll do. <laughs> so. Yeah, that no, will be all right. And hello to all my friends in Australia. Yeah, mate, it's so great to uh, get a chance to talk to you. In fact, uh, one of my listeners um, drew, my, drew my attention to your case uh, in our- The story you're about to hear- over the coming episodes is, well, I'm not quite sure how best to describe it. Bizarre doesn't really do it justice. Insane, unbelievable, ridiculous. All words that would fit quite nicely around this story. Now, my job, as you know, is never to offer an opinion. I always say I'm not here to prove innocence or guilt, and 
that's still true. However, in this case, I don't need to. I'll let the story speak for itself. So, Temujin Kenzu, known back in 1986 as Fred Freeman, was arrested and jailed, never to breathe free air again, just four months after this Australian podcast host was born. My name is Temujin Kensu. I'm in the United States of America at the Macomb Correctional Facility in Lenox Township, Michigan. I was charged with the crime of first-degree premeditated murder in November of 1986. Uh, I was convicted in the summer of 1987, and I've been incarcerated for almost 37 years now. Wow. I certainly don't want to make you feel old, but I was born in July of, ni- <laughs> of, July of 1986, so... You've essentially been in prison my entire life, sir. I mean, which is just insanity. Yeah, yes, yes. Don't worry, I am old. I just hit the big, I just hit the big six zero on May twenty third. So I'm, yeah, I'm an old, old man. Throughout this case, we will hear from many people who are all in some way connected to this story. Its tentacles reach far and wide, with Temujin having many supporters, some of whom are in extremely high places. So how is he still incarcerated? with all of this backing after all of these years. Well, we'll get to all of that very soon, but of course, like all the other stories we cover, we'll start from the very beginning. Um, Growing up, whereabouts did you grow up? Uh, I was born in the city of Flint, Michigan. I spent a good part of my youth in an area called Burton, which is a township uh, just outside, just on the outskirts of Flint. And um, so lived most of my life in Michigan. I spent some time when I was in the service in Oklahoma and then later in Washington State for a couple of years. Then I came back to Michigan in uh, 1985. And of course, I was arrested for this in 1986. So your childhood, would you, would you consider you had a, a happy childhood? No, I grew up in an uh, insanely violent home. Um, right. I had some very loving grandparents who did what they could to get me out of that home as much as possible. Sadly, I lost my grandfather when I was pretty young. And he was kind of that bedrock of support and that, that place that I went to, you know, for shelter. Um, you know, I had the old world values, you know, you don't strike your parents. So, you know, you get beaten, but you don't beat back. Right. And so what I wound up doing was simply uh, running away uh, on several occasions and um, eventually, you know, wound up in the foster care system, which also was brutal in those days. Yeah. You didn't have the child protections in America in those days that you have now. So they would put you in really bad situations. You basically just had to fight your way through them. Temujin says growing up, he was quite gifted when it came to school and learning. He had a natural inquisitive mind and was always hungry to learn as much as possible. It soon became apparent that he was charging ahead with school and was soon offered the chance to move into a gifted program. However, his mother, who he had a very tumultuous relationship with, would have none of it and would not allow him to move forward or allow for any nurturing of his obvious intellect. Instead, he says that the school that he was in would just set him aside with separate work to do, essentially all by himself. So they would just literally assign me a book to read and do a book report on this. While all the other kids were doing the other things in class, I would be back in the corner with a book. And uh, that went on uh, up through my uh, junior high years, and then I started to become a little bit rebellious, and then it was in and out of the foster homes, and obviously no more access to the accelerated programming at that time. Did you have you know, many, fr- yeah. many friends growing up at school and stuff like that? Well, you know, the good thing is I didn't fall into what we over here we call the nerd category. Yeah. You know, I wasn't the kid with the pocket protector and the glasses. Uh, yeah. I started the martial arts very early. Right. And so I was able to fight and defend myself. And, and, you know, being in and out of the foster system, you get a little, you get a little brutalized, you get a little rough edged. 
so instead of being the nerd, I became the, the, the anti-bully. And, and though I was, you know, hanging out with some of the more gifted kids, um, some of the very intelligent kids, I would go around beating up the bullies that beat up the nerds. <laughs> and uh, I had, you know, coming out of an abusive home, I had zero tolerance for them being abused. And so I think maybe some of that anti-bullying was really, you know, a, a shot at my, my home life, you know. Yeah. Here's my way to to help these kids that are being bullied. Like I was being bullied at home, you know, where I had nobody to help me. And I've done the same thing in prison my entire incarceration too. So were you sort of bounced around a number of homes during in your foster care stuff? Yeah, what they did in the 70s, um, it's, it's not even legal in the States now. You know, we have a lot of prescriptions against government being involved with religion now. But in the 70s, a lot of the foster care programs were actually religious-oriented programs, though they were funded by the state. So I was in a program called Victorious Christian Youth from about, I think, 1974 or 75, I entered that first. And so you would think with that moniker, hey, Victorious Christian Youth, this is going to be, you know, this wonderful home where you're going to get some kind of, uh, you know, religious fundamental upbringing. Yeah, and instead, that. they tended to be some of the worst and most, most violent homes. Yeah. And... Um, in those days, if you were being beaten, about the only thing you could do is just report it to a caseworker, and maybe they would get you moved, but their first job was to tell the foster parents, and then they're just going to beat you more. So, you know, being able to fight and having that anti-bully mindset, uh, I became just the same way with the abusive foster brothers or the foster parents. And so I became a problem. They were, if they were abusing the kids, I would go after the, the family kids that were doing that to the foster kids. Yeah. And eventually that led to conflicts with the parents themselves. So I, you know, I was never charged with any crimes or anything, but you know, for example, at one point I had a brother named Paul who was a professional boxer and he would beat up all the foster kids and he couldn't beat me up and that infuriated him. And we would get in these fights and you know, I could kick and punch and block and do the things that a boxer doesn't normally do and I'd wind up whooping this guy and uh, then the foster dad would get mad and come beat on me. And he was enormous. The guy was like six foot three and 400 pounds. And um, so that would lead to, uh, you know, an investigation. And they'd come out and say, okay, I, I was sticking up for one of the foster kids they were beating on literally had cancer. Wow. And um, so that led to an investigation. It might be just being moved to another home with no misconduct allegations against me. But that was really all that they did. They didn't punish these parents. They didn't take away their licenses. They didn't remove the kids from the homes. They would just take out the kid that was fighting against the, the oppression in the home. Temujin was also extremely into his martial arts from a young age, and this would continue into his adulthood. In fact, his skill and love for martial arts would actually come into question when he was later accused of a murder. But more on that soon. Temujin would eventually get out of the foster program and head back home, where he said things were no better. In fact, they were even worse than when he'd left. He moved in with his grandmother and would care for her until eventually deciding to escape completely and join the army. There was an enticement. Uh, there were commercials everywhere. You know, be all you can be, join the army. A ranger never takes the easy way out. You're reaching deep inside you for things you've never known. Go! That's why getting into the Rangers is tough, and the training is tough. Be all that you can be. So it makes me feel like I'm part of something really special. Be all that you can be. And I'm not the only one. They wanted gifted individuals, so I, I was sent for an ASVAB, 
which is the Armed Services Vocational Aptitude Battery, and I scored off the charts on the ASVAB. They called me in and said, you have this insanely high score. We want to send you to nuclear. And even though I had gone to an Army recruiter, the Navy wanted me to go do nuclear subs. And, um, but the enticements financially were greater with the Army. And like a dummy, you know, being young, I took the money. And yeah. so if you went into the army back then, you got like a $3,500 uh, enlistment bonus. If I had gone nuclear, I would have gotten no extra money, but amazing training and education. Like most immature young men, I wanted money. So yeah, <laughs> I want to be in a, a, um, a, can, yeah, a cannon crewman instead of a submarine nuclear technician or maybe a, you know, a nuclear weapons development technician. And so that was a stupid choice on my part. And I was miserable. I couldn't stand it. And so uh, I wound up at Fort Sill, Oklahoma, which was a nightmare. And um, so I honorably discharged a year later and left the military, which they had a program back then you could do that called the Trainee Discharge Program. I said, this is just not for me anymore. He wraps up his short stint in the army and decided that he would pursue his other passion in life, music. He'd always enjoyed singing and in fact had sung in a few bands since he was 13. With metal starting to take off in the 80s, bands were looking for singers who could emulate the likes of the Queen's Reich, Scorpions and the Nitro. So I want to go in kind of bouncing from band to band in Michigan and later on the west coast of Washington State, Seattle, Eventually made my way back to Michigan, as I say, in 1985. Um, got with a great band in the uh, Ann Arbor area. Uh, actually won a couple big battle to band type contests. And, you know, was looking to do something permanent with music. And I just started to learn to play guitar, too, to kind of add to the whole stage presence. And um, I left uh, the Ann Arbor area with a friend of mine who used to go to the University of Michigan and a childhood girlfriend, Michelle, who's the mother of my son and my principal alibi witness on this case. And uh, eventually we wound up moving to Michigan's Upper Peninsula after this whole crystal drama, which is part of this case itself. And I got into another great band up there. And uh, I had actually talked to a guy from a record company and I was supposed to call him back on November the 17th to do some recording. And I was arrested on November the 13th. So that really, you know, that dashed that. Um, yeah. Talk about heartbreak. Yeah. yeah I thought I was going to actually make it. And uh, yeah four days from when I was supposed to make this call to go see these guys in Green Bay, Wisconsin to do some recording. I get this uh, SWAT team bearing down on me, telling me that I killed some person I've never even met. So we're going to take a short break, but when we come back, a young man would lose his life in the car park of a community college. A crime would change the course of Timogen's life forever. So you didn't know Scott at all? Never met him, never seen him. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Now, Temujin did have a brief stint in Tennessee. And it's while discussing this that I found out that he had, in fact, had a brush with the law previously. Oh, I just went on to see some friends down there. But um, unfortunately, I, uh, I was on probation and I did not have permission to leave the state. Right. And so when I went down there, that was a violation of my probation. So I was arrested and I was brought back. But I was released immediately. Before we start thinking that we're dealing with a career criminal here, Temujin explains that this was all over his bank account being overdrawn explains what happened. Yeah, I had a bad check charge, an overdrafting of my account. In those days, an overdrafting in, in the States, like in Washington, for example, was just a $5 bad check fee. It, was, it wasn't considered a big deal. And so it was pretty common uh, back then for us to overdraft our accounts, get our paychecks, and then just pay off you know, all of our debts and the $5 check fees. Well, I had the really bad luck of being the first person pursued by a company called Telecheck. It was one of the first check insurance companies that businesses used in the States. So I deliberately overdrafted my account quite a bit. You know, the intention was I would just pay it all back and I'd have, you know, $30 in bank fees. But um, a police officer came to my door and was, you know, really pressing me about this matter. And I was kind of defensive, like, hey, I've been doing this forever. My bank is a block away. They don't have a problem with it. And he says, well, I know I'm best friends with one of these business people that you owe money to. I said, well, they're going to get their money. And he's, you know, he threatened me and he said, uh, well, you're going to go to jail if you don't give me the money right now. And I said, well, I'm not going to the money till I get my check. And, um, and so we took off and um, eventually I got caught. They brought me back. They let me go right away. Um, I, just so everyone knows, I paid back every penny I ever owed anybody. In fact, I paid off all my balances while in here serving life. And Washington State has forgiven me for the crime, too. I had a parole board hearing here last year about it, with the prosecutor being wonderful about the whole thing and the parole board voting to clear my record. But regardless, um, that, that gave me a, a bad, what's called a bad check charge, which in Washington State is known as uh, theft. It's a theft crime. In Michigan, it's called uttering and publishing. In Washington State, it's called theft. And so I have that theft conviction. So I was on probation for that. Yeah, right. It seems like such a, a, a minor thing to be on probation for. <laughs> it was crazy because this company actually put my face on a poster. And it was like, telecheck, we prosecute. Through this story, you're going to hear many, many names. And I will do my best to keep you on track with who's who. When it comes to female names in this story, you're going to hear a few of those because in his own words, Timogen says that uh, during this period, he was a bit of a womanizer. But the three names we're going to focus on, particularly when it comes to this case, are Crystal and Monica, who we'll talk about soon, and Michelle, or Shelley, as Timogen will often refer to her as. 
Michelle is the mother of Timogen's son. She met him when she was very young. Let's talk about your, you know, your yeah. the mother of your child. Where did you meet her? So I've known Michelle uh, uh, since, wow, um, 1977 or 78 I met her. And she's still in my life now. In fact, I just spoke to her a couple of days ago. Yeah. She doesn't. She lives not far from where Paul and I have a home now. Right. And um, my, son, my son lives with her up here in Michigan. Hello? Hello, is that Michelle? Yes. Hi, Michelle. It's Jack Lawrence. Is it Jack? Yes. How are you? Uh, Doing well, thank you. (laughs) Obviously, when two people have a child together, you know no matter what happens with your own relationship, you'll undoubtedly always have that person in your life in some way. However, Michelle not only shares a child with Timogen, but an extremely traumatic experience. What she went through back in 1986 at the time would be traumatic for anyone, let alone someone 17 years of age. So it's quite the testament, I believe, to the character of Timogen that almost 37 years later, she's not only still in his life, but is only too happy to talk with people like myself about the experience and her life with Timogen at the time. I met him through my sister, my older sister, and um, I was just bananas about him, just crazy, and and uh, really was thinking he was the one, I was going to marry him, and we were going to live happily ever after. So uh, I approached her parents, and I asked permission to date her, and at first I received that permission, and then later her father became a little um, irate about the whole thing. We had a nice dinner, and he got really rude during the dinner, and... Um, led to an argument and it was kind of like okay this is over it's not going to happen my parents so my mom my dad really because of that altercation didn't really have a lot to say (laughs) but uh, my mom did like him she she was impressed you know she thought he was really cool and everything and he was um oh you've met him you've you've talked to him before so he's very um charismatic he's very charming and um she, she was kind of back and forth about him sometimes she would say it would be okay for me to see him then other times she would be like, no, you can't talk to him. And then she wouldn't let me. And, uh, I, you know, I had to let it go. There really wasn't much I could do about it. And um, so I didn't see her again until I came back from Washington State. And that would have been 1980, 1984. We did split for a while because he was older and he went into the Army. Um, we wrote each other while he was in the Army. And then he came back. Um, and... Uh, finally, uh, we moved in together, and uh, he was a great guy. He was would give anyone the shirt off their back. Very supportive of people who, um, you know, kind of the underdogs that just didn't have much. Um, he was always helping people, and uh, just a really great guy back then. And we were pretty much together after that until it was a short break of a couple of months when I went down to Tennessee. And came back to Michigan again, of course, in 85. We were together from that point on until I was arrested for this. And, of course, she's the person that I was with the morning of this this crime. It's 1986. Temujin, known of course then as Fred Freeman, and Michelle were living together. They had recently moved to Michigan's Upper Peninsula to a place called Escanaba. 
and over 400 miles away in an area called Port Huron, which sits smack bang on the US-Canadian border, a man was about to lose his life. And unbeknownst to Temujin, this incident would change his life forever. It's Wednesday, November 5th, 1986. Winter in Michigan. It's a bitterly cold start to the day, sitting around minus one on 28 degrees. It's about 9am at St Clair's Community College, a beautiful red brick building which sits along the Black River of Port Huron. Two guys are standing in the parking lot of the college, one of whom would become one of the prosecution's supposed key eyewitnesses. As the two men are chatting, they hear a noise and look over to where they think the noise has come from. A number of people would in fact later say that they also heard the noise, most of which were students who assumed it must have been a car backfiring or someone messing around with a firecracker, and most paid little to no attention to that noise. That sound, of course, was not a car backfiring or a firecracker. It was the sound of a gunshot. A gunshot that would kill a young man by the name of Scott Macklem. So you didn't know Scott at all? Never met him, never seen him. And, and the morning of his shooting, you were, as you said, what was it, 500 miles away? Yeah, um, I keep getting different estimates. You know, the problem is we use Google Maps now, right? Yeah, yeah, So yeah. Google Maps finds you the most efficient way to get somewhere. That's not the route that you take. And yeah. so the route we drove back then was like 75 north to 2 and 41. And it was about a 10-hour trip. So if you use Google Maps now and there's a bunch of new roadways and, and the speed limit is 80 now and it was 55 back then, it, there's, there's more sequitious routes. So you can make it about 420 miles. But the route that we drove up there was almost 500 miles, yeah. And I lived in Rock, which is another 35 miles away from town, way out in the woods. So it's a long, slow drive through, you know, tiny little uh, suburban areas, little, little villages, basically. Scott was 20 years old at the time and was the son of the mayor of Croswell, a small town northwest of Port Huron. As we've learned time and time again when we talk about murder cases, there's always words like pressure when we talk about solving these cases. There was a lot of pressure from the top, a lot of pressure from the public to solve this one. So when the son of the mayor is gunned down, you can bet your life on it. That word pressure is most certainly at play. So just how does a man over 400 miles away become suspect number one in this murder? Well, Scott Macklem was engaged at the time to a woman named Crystal Merrill, a woman who Temujin had a brief history with. I only saw Crystal a couple of times. This is a crazy woman that I met in a video store next to a music store that I had gone into buy some musical equipment from. And she asked me to go out with her and I went out with her that night and she became, I mean, obsessed, like from jump. How did you first find out about this crystal, mm-hmm. crystal lady? Um, I first met her when uh, he and I moved to a new town, um, Port Huron, Michigan, which is where the murder happened. Um, we moved there and uh, one evening we went to, uh, back then they had VHS videos yes. <laughs> uh, to watch on TV. And so we went to get a couple of movies, check out a couple of movies. 
at a store. It was about 20 minutes away or so. But uh, we went into this little mall, and um, she was working there at the video store. And what, what was your impressions of her? I mean, she was pretty. <laughs> she was pretty, and, and uh, you know, he... he talked to her and then apparently went back afterward once we had gotten home. I, I don't know if it was the same day or the next day, but he went back and spoke with her and I guess asked her out and um, that went from there. Uh, I mean, talking about a life together, moving in together, the whole nine yards was crazy. Anyways, um, but after a couple of times seeing her and her becoming completely insane and stalky, I just decided, you know what? Uh, I need to get away from this person. Well, when we were still in Port Huron, when she finally, um, when he asked her out and they went out, he was letting me know that he was taking her out. Um, and once they came back from their date, they came to the house and he introduced her to me. Um, she was very happy and smiley and, you know, giggly and that kind of thing. Like they had had a wonderful time. Uh, soon after that, she came over one morning, very angry, very upset, demanding to see him. Um, he was still sleeping and uh, she was banging on the door. I went and answered the door. She demanded to see him. I went in to get him. He said, no, tell her I don't want to see her. Tell her to get out of here. And so I went back and told her that, and she would not leave. She demanded to see him, and uh, so I went back and told him, and um, she was just very, very irate, very angry. And, you know, I still had the probation issue. I didn't want any trouble. I talked to Shelly and Tom, and um, a roommate of mine at that time, and said, you know, what do you think? And they're like, we need to go. And it sucked because I had this cabin I really liked down in that area. This is in the uh, Jetto area, by the way, for listeners, which is right on the water of uh, Lake Huron in Michigan. So it's a beautiful area. Yeah, we did move up to Escanaba because she was, that was getting crazy and, and uh, she just wouldn't leave them alone. So we ended up moving up there and uh, finding a house. Uh, we found a house in town and stayed there for a short time and then ended up getting a farmhouse out in Rock, which is about... Um, I think at least like a half an hour drive, um, you know, when the roads are clear and everything, it's about a half hour at least from town. Um, and it was just this little tiny little grocery store, I think, and a little tiny diner um, and a gas station kind of a town. Once we were Michigan's Upper Peninsula, we never went back down again. You have one minute remaining. Yes, I know what you're thinking. You said we weren't going to hear that annoying voice. Well, it's the name of the show. And that's all we got time for for this episode. But coming up, Temujin Kenzu would have his life turned completely upside down and is arrested by a SWAT team after rumours have spread that he's some sort of ninja hitman. So they sent two officers in in body armor, what's called an apron from the neck, like literally down to the knees, to approach me. And I said, guys, look, I don't know what's going on, but relax, I'm not gonna give you a hard time. And they said, well, you're supposed to be some bad SOB and some ninja death commando. And I was like, yeah, I'm not any of that. Next time on One Minute Remaining. One Minute Remaining is a Mash Pumpkin production. Produced, hosted, and created by Jack Lawrence. Editing and sound design by Jack Lawrence and Dom Evans. This show is part of the ACAST Creator Network. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.